Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning. I'm Micah. This is Sarah. We're the lead pastors at the Vine Church here in Pasco, Washington. We hope we're joining you on a great day, a great week. You know, we just celebrated the new year. I don't know how you celebrated it, but I slept on the floor next to my dog's <laughs> kennel while fireworks went off all night. So dog. happy new year. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. It's true. Our dog has a hard time with fireworks. We are so glad that you joined us today. You know, as I was thinking this week about our message, I was thinking about home. And I wonder what images the word home conjures up in you. I remember during college, I would, I whenever I thought about home, I would think about my mom's pasta. Mm. Uh, just good old Italian home-cooked meals. Like that just spoke home to me. Similarly, the first thought that came to my mind was cooking with the family, cooking with my kids, yeah. This, yeah. this last week, uh, with all the cold and all the snow, we've been outside a ton with our girls sledding and hiking and doing fun things in the snow. And the, when I think of let's go home, the images that that, that conjures up in me is warmth, mm -hmm. like hot chocolate or hot tea and a blanket. Home is a very powerful concept, mm -hmm. a very powerful idea. You know, today we're going to continue looking at the narratives after the birth of Jesus. We started that last week. We're going to continue that this week. And we're going to read about a time in Jesus' life where he had to flee from home. Yeah, so uh, the images that we conjure up often are around comfort, and yet mm -hmm. the story of Jesus is not a story of constant comfort throughout his life. In fact, most seasons of his life were quite challenged, and today we're going to look at the first couple of years of his life in which he was actually what we would call a refugee. He had fled his home for fear of his life. His family had fled for fear of his life. Let's zoom out a little bit and, and talk about this idea of a refugee. I did some research this week, and the UN Refugee Agency estimates that there are 84 million people forcibly displaced as of mid-2021. Wow. Yeah, 48 million of those are internally displaced. That means they're still in the nation in which they have experienced or are experiencing threat or uh, violence. Um, the rest of those are people that have been able to move beyond the borders of that nation. 35 million of those estimated 84 million are children. 34 million of them, or 35 million 35 of them million are children. children. Um, and 68% of the refugee crisis in the world um, comes from five countries. So Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, South Sudan, and Myanmar. Mm. So uh, yeah, it's 68% of those from those five countries. Interestingly, Turkey leads the world in hosting refugees. Um, and the U.S. doesn't make the top five list of nations that are assisting mm -hmm. uh, refugees in this time. There's nothing simple or standard about the life of a refugee. If a family is able to find a camp, uh, the weights there and the conditions there can be tragic in and of themselves. I can't fathom the plight of these families. You know, often when mm -hmm. someone uh, tells us about a struggle they're going through, well, 
pat them on the shoulder and say, I understand, but often that is just not the case. Uh, until we have experienced these things, we do not understand the things these people and families are experiencing. And today we're going to identify the fact that our Savior, our Rabbi, our Messiah, Jesus, he does understand because he and his family has experienced some of these things. So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So the text this week in Matthew chapter 2 follows up on what we looked at last week, and it makes a little more sense in context of that. If you missed that, feel free to go back and read it or to listen to that message. Um, But it speaks of these magi that came early in Jesus' life to present gifts to him and to hail him as a new king born in Israel. To get to Jesus, they went by route of uh, the capital and King Herod and asked, where is this new king? Which was the wrong place to go. Well, uh, for for the sake of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, yes. So uh, Herod um, sets out to have Jesus killed, feeling threatened Mm. by a new king or whatever is happening here Mm. in the nation. And so this story begins to contrast for us the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus throughout his ministry is going to talk about this idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and how it operates so drastically different than kingdoms of this world. It's fascinating to me that in the first couple years of Jesus' life, we begin to see this contrast play out. We see Herod maintaining his power by decisiveness and violence and whatever means necessary to wipe out what could maybe someday become a threat to him. So we see extreme measures and violence. And then throughout the life of Jesus, we'll see something very different. In this text, we see his family fleeing and living as refugees in another nation for a season of life. Throughout his ministry, though, he'll go into detail about what this kingdom looks like and how different it is than this violence, decisiveness, or whatever sources of power other rulers and kingdoms would derive power from. In Mark chapter 10, um, he's speaking with two of his closest followers, James and John, And uh, they say, hey, when you rule Jesus, we'll sit at your right and left hand. We got you covered. We'll protect you. We'll help you rule and do all the things that we should. And Jesus says, you're talking about the wrong model. That's not my kingdom. That's not how it works. Uh, That's how, in fact, Jesus says, that's how the rulers of the world operate 
there can and we see that all the time where people are trying to get ahead trying to get the best positions and, and the most power absolutely we are so you can understand their misunderstanding mm -hmm. and they look around at the world rome and herod and all or rome and mm -hmm. the rulers the kings and they see that playing out uh, but jesus says no that's not how this kingdom works in philippians chapter 2 it's described his journey is described as he was in the in form God. Jesus was God, and yet he did not choose to exploit that power. Instead, he would live a sacrificial life, live as a servant, even dying on a cross. Jesus says to his followers, let those that want to be on top be the servant of everyone else. That's that upside down kingdom that Jesus describes. And it does, like he said, it's, it stands in such contrast to Herod mm -hmm. in the way he is just holding on to power, clinging to power to the point of this great cruelty and this atrocity. It leads him to ordering the massacre of all these little boys, two years old and under in and around Bethlehem. And for me, as I read this story, that's kind of hard. That's just hard to process. Like mm -hmm. how, how is that even? possible that someone could order that and that could be carried out. It's so appalling to me. And and yet I'm also struck in the same in the same moment. I'm struck by, you know, some of the things I read in the news, things happening all around the word world that are just as uh, appalling, that are just mm. as horrendous. And it strikes me that these things are usually motivated by the same things. And it's motivated by power, wanting to hold on to power. Or it's motivated by money or it's motivated, maybe a combination of by hatred, especially hatred of someone who's different than us. And so as I as I read this story, I personally, I have a hard time processing it. But as I think about it, where it leads me is to this place of prayer and recognition where where we get to cry out to God, knowing that God is a God of love and mercy, that his kingdom looks different. And we cry out to God about these injustices that we see, the violence. And we know that this grieves God greatly, that God is heartbroken over this. And we know that God's mission is to heal and to restore creation to wholeness. And so we pray, your kingdom Come, your will be done. The kingdom that you're describing, Jesus's kingdom, one of peace and love and wholeness. Yeah. And so in contrast then to Herod and power and Rome, uh, Jesus' story demonstrates something beautiful in his uh, both his birth and his early life. We see this incredibly humble posture in which God will enter the world. In this humble birth and the story of a refugee family escaping violence and death, Jesus shows how he not only can but does identify with and experience what it is to be marginalized or vulnerable or hurting. Jesus resonates with the hurt and the instability that exists in this world. And when he says, come follow me, my burden is light, I'll care for you. You know, he says, I know that it, it hurts. I know this is hard in this moment, but I have come to bring hope in this world. And truly a God who is willing to walk in that mess and experience those things 
things telling me, I know it hurts, but I will walk with you through it. That is a very, very rich story of hope and reconciliation in this world. Yeah, and especially as you consider that this wasn't forced upon God, that that Jesus chose, chose this to mm. walk this way. It's, it's pretty amazing. You know, I want to draw t- our attention to verse 15. There's something said that I think is really fascinating. In verse 15, um, it said, So was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. And here the author, Matthew, is quoting Hosea chapter 11. And Hosea chapter 11 is all about God's love for Israel as he delivers them. And what I find fascinating about about this quote is that Matthew is um, taking the story of the Exodus and the story of Jesus and paralleling them. So he's comparing the two. So the story of the Exodus is when God brings the people of Israel out of Egypt. They've been enslaved to the Egyptians and God delivers them out of Egypt. He leads them to Mount Sinai and then he confirms his original covenant with them, the covenant he had made uh, first with Abraham. And then he gives them the law. And he says the law is to demonstrate here's what it looks like Mm -hmm. to live in covenant with me. And so Matthew is is comparing that story to what is happening to Jesus right now, that Jesus, God will bring Jesus out of Egypt and that Jesus as the Messiah will establish a new covenant with God's people, between God and his people, and his life and his teachings will demonstrate what this new covenant with this new kingdom that you're describing will look like. Absolutely. So Matthew, as he concludes this passage, continues to speak of prophecy fulfilled. So um, after some time in Egypt, an angel appears to Joseph and he says, um, you can go back to your land. But Joseph is warned in a dream that Herod's son is reigning and there is still risk. And so um, in verse 23, he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarite. So Jesus, from living, uh, he and his family as refugees for a season, will move back to Israel, but to an incredibly remote and quiet region in Israel. It's fascinating as we look at this story how God speaks to Joseph multiple times through dreams. In fact, in the Justice short story that we we read here, God speaks to Joseph three times. He tells him, get up and go to Egypt. And then in a dream, he says, go back to Israel. And then in another dream, he says, go to the district of Galilee. And, And I love seeing that back and forth between God and Joseph and how I love contemplating how God speaks to us in various ways. And I think it's super significant that God continues to speak to Joseph and Joseph continues to listen and to follow. Now, a little confession here. I've, I've prayed, Hey God, just, just show me the whole plan. I just want to know how it all, how, how it's all going to go down. Just reveal it all to me. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't just tell us everything in one fell swoop. Instead, it's, it's this continual dialogue with God, with, with us walking with God means that we're listening to him and following him step by step. And that's what Joseph is doing here in this story. 
Yeah. So now the biblical authors uh, don't tell us much about Jesus' upbringing mm -hmm. uh, beyond this before his public ministry. There's a couple stories uh, that we find there in the Gospels. Um, but at this point, we find Jesus living uh, mm -hmm. in Nazareth in a quiet little region in Israel. It further highlights just the humble and quiet nature in which God would enter the world, the way he would demonstrate a peaceful existence as he comes into a a kingdom where power is accomplished by, by violence. Jesus will live in this quiet little region. His father, a carpenter, he'll likely train as a carpenter with his father as he grows up until he's 30 years old and will step into the position of a rabbi in Israel. Hmm. So zooming out in this Matthew 2 story here, we see the abuse of power through Herod. We see how God chose to live, chose to dwell with humanity in the mess of all the injustice and, and all the struggle and the suffering and lived with those on the margins who were mistreated and considered insignificant. So as we look at this story, where, where do we go from here? Where do we go as we consider what happened 2,000 years ago, as we consider injustice and suffering around the world today, mm. as we consider the current refugee crisis that you were telling us about? I mean, those numbers are just mind-blowing to me. What is our response as Jesus followers? And, and as I was thinking about this, the phrase shared humanity kept coming to me. And this is a phrase that um, I learned from Desmond Tutu, reading his writings. Now, Desmond Tutu is the archbishop, um, was an archbishop in South Africa. He actually died this last week. I didn't mm. realize that. Um, but he's an amazing South African theologian and civil rights leader. Mm. And he speaks of the shared humanity that we are all interconnected, that there's this web of, of humanity and uh, that what we do affects other people and vice versa. And so I want to read a few of his quotes on this. He's, he, he wrote and said, my humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together, mm. like this shared humanity. He also said, when we see others as the enemy, we risk becoming what we hate. When we oppress others, we end up oppressing ourselves. All our humanity is dependent on recognizing the humanity in others. Mm. And one last one, he said, your ordinary acts of love and hope point to the extraordinary promise that every human life is of an inestimable value. This concept of shared humanity, it so contrasts the mentality of us versus them, mm -hmm. um, but that we're all in this together. Yeah. So as we continue to explore then, what does this application looks like? And as Desmond Tutu challenges us to shift our mindset, uh, we ask, how will we view people? How will we view events in this world? You know, um, in a tragic turn of events, in my personal opinion, uh, must m much of the Western evangelical Christian voice uh, is talking a lot more about our rights and liberties mm -hmm. than about the way of Jesus. And as demonstrated in this text today, we recognize that God will enter the world in humility, that Jesus will not cling to his own rights, but instead will give his life 
for the sake of others. And my prayer for us as we hear stories this drastic about how Jesus would enter the world and how he would interact with it is that we would be impacted, influenced to view the world and people around us in the way our Messiah does, in the way Jesus does. And that is with love, intentionally looking out for the well-being of another person. That's the way of Jesus. And this is what this text challenges me to today. I want to say amen, amen, (laughs) multiple times in there. So so as we reflect on this, I ask, we ask, uh, we we encourage you to ask, so what are we going to do now? What can we Mm -hmm. do? And I think one of the first things that um, is important to do is to educate ourselves, to expand our, our little bubble, our worldview, our context, to educate ourselves on what is actually going on. And just a little side note there. Um, use reliable sources <laughs> in that education. That's, that's super important. My daughter, our daughter is coming home from middle school talking about reliable sources. That's still relevant. She tells me Wikipedia is not good enough, but <laughs> not good enough. So use reliable sources in educating, um, ourselves and then to pray, pray for God's kingdom come. And I just want to immediately say prayer is not a cop out because sometimes we say, oh, I'll just pray about it. And we mm-hmm. say a quick little prayer and we move, move on. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just earnest prayer coming before God and saying, here's what I'm seeing. Lord, please have mercy on us. And, and further, uh, Prayer aligns our heart with the heart of God. It is transformational in the way it invites us to engage in different ways as we are transformed by the Spirit. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and and the the injustices and the suffering that we're seeing is a physical manifestation manifestation of a spiritual battle that's mm-hmm. being waged. And so this is why prayer is so important. So educate ourselves. Pray for God's kingdom to come. And then lastly, um, practice seeing our shared humanity in other people, especially people that are different than us, to, to recognize and resist the urge to oversimplify or to reduce people down to an issue or problem, to resist and, and recognize when we have that us versus them mentality and instead recognize our shared humanity to engage people with curiosity and empathy and compassion and the love of Jesus that you were talking about. And then I love Joseph's Joseph's example in here because this is hard stuff. So always be listening to God and follow God's leading step by step. Absolutely. So in the text today, a lot of the conversation revolved around Jesus as a refugee, and it's a really timely conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, early in our church planting journey, um, we were uh, we have always desired to partner with organizations. And so we had opportunity, a number of our families in the church, to kind of adopt or to work with mm-hmm. refugee families that had recently been placed here in our community to help them shop, to help them set up their home, just these things as people were in such a dramatic transition in their life. Um, Currently, a a number of people have come to us saying, hey, I'm kind of feeling called to engage. Currently, uh, quite Mm -hmm. a number of Afghanistan families from Afghanistan are being placed here in the Tri-Cities. And a number of us 
are asking, so how do we engage? What will we do to engage? And so we do want to mention today that we'd like to open up a little bit more conversation Mm -hmm. about what it might look like as a church to be engaging intentionally in the lives of people that are finding asylum here in our very own community. Um, Leadership team and our financial teams have allocated some funds towards this, and this is the early stages of the process of saying, so how will we faithfully use our time, our talents, our gifts uh, Mm -hmm. to further God's work in this community. So we invite you to join us in that conversation. If you would reach out to us in the week to come, if you have ideas, thoughts, or experiences, uh, we would love to have you as a part of that conversation. Let's pray as we conclude. Dear God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your humility. Jesus, we see um, in this story in Matthew to how you not only see people who are hurting and who are vulnerable, but Lord, that you you ex- have experienced it yourself. And Lord, that you chose to live that life is just so powerful and beautiful. And so Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this example. And we ask you to lead us in seeing our neighbors, as your beloved sons and daughters. Lord, we ask you to help us educate ourselves and pray and engage in meaningful ways um, with the refugee crisis that is that is all around us, even here in the Tri-Cities. Lord, we pray for your blessing and your protection over all the families that have recently come here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, with that, we're going to sign off. Thank you for joining us here today. We are excited for a new year and new opportunities and look forward to walking with you in that. Have a blessed week. Bye, everyone.